Simajaw is brought by Overcast, an independent podcast app for everyone. No paywalls, no premium content, just a podcast app for everyone. Get it for free in the App Store. And thank you! You're listening to Cinema Jaw, the greatest movies podcast ever, recorded on location from our respective homes in Chicago. My name is Matt Kay, and with me is... Ride the Movie Guy, and sitting alongside us is... Phil! Hello, how we doing, guys? This week on Cinema Jaw, Matt, we get our sorting hat on as we cover our top five favorite magical items from movies. This is great. You know, I mean, like... These are the things that uh, kind of make movies what they are, you know, because you can't have magical items in real life, turns out. Oh, no. I've tried, Ryan. Yeah. It's very difficult. I think when I was a kid, these were the items that you wanted so bad, you know? It was like you, you would see something in the movie and it would be like, oh, yeah, it would be great if I could just have that and fly all around town and go to the candy shop, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a little bit of wish fulfillment for sure. Yes. To help us with this list, we have a great guest. He's returning, finally. He's had a long gap here. But, but we saw him at the Chicago Critics Film Festival. We got in a deep conversation of all things on JFK. And next thing you know, we booked him back on the show. Yeah, Pat McDonald's going to be here. The Uber Critic. Can't wait to talk to Pat again. Yes, always great to talk to Pat. Plus, we got a big review coming up. This is an exciting, exciting stuff. What else do we have going on, Phil? Oh, baby, this is normally where I brag about it being July and I talk about how we have a, a new monthly theme, but there is also, this is a double whammy. I'm excited. We're, we're doing a reboot, baby. Uh, we're trying something new and you better believe we're bringing back eye for an eye. We're, we're giving it the Chippendale treatment. It's like, you, you, if you didn't like it before, here's what I'll say. It's going to be radically different this time. We're, we're doing something new with eye for an eye. Boy, you are overselling that. I'm pretty sure it's just going to be eye for an eye, but it is back. Uh, And we have, as Ryan mentioned, a big review. It is Thor, Love and Thunder. How exciting is that? Plus, in honor of Love and Thunder, it's so simple this week to play trivia. I went with Love and Thunder movie trivia. Love and Thunder movie trivia. There's a lot of movie titles that have those words and so on and so forth. So your self-first pat in Love and Thunder. I'm ready. I'm ready. So it is July. We are halfway through the year. We just got done recording our report card for oh, this, our Patreons. By the way, happy fourth, everybody. Agreed. This is this is dropping right on the on the fourth. So happy if you're fourth in the United indeed. States, yeah, happy Independence Day. So we did a report card for our Patreons, and we went over the first half of the year. That's exclusive for our Patreons, and. Now in July, it means we got to celebrate somebody new. I think we've celebrated a lot of great actors and actresses thus far. But this actor has a new movie coming out July called The Gray Man. July, we are celebrating Ryan Gosling here on Cinema Jaw. I like me some Gosling. Hell yeah. Yeah, we'll learn a little bit about Ryan Gosling. Let's kick it off with a Gosling fact. 
Yes, and this one, it's coming to us from La La Land. Uh, I believe that was Ryan's number one or number two the year it came out. Uh, and according to the composer, it's obviously a musical, so the music is important. Uh, Justin Hurwitz, uh, all the piano performances featured in the movie were first recorded and produced by pianist Randy Kerber uh, during the pre-production of the film uh and then ryan goslin then spent two hours a day six days a week in piano lessons uh, six days a week of right remember when you were a kid and it was just like uh geez my parents are making me go to piano and that's like a 30 minute thing once a week six days a week excuse me uh learning the music by heart so that way he just had it memorized uh, and then by the time that the filming had begun Gosling was able to play all of those piano sequences without the use of any kind of hand double or CGI or movie magic it's it's straight up just Ryan Gosling playing the piano uh, yes. which is also I think like in incredible in that I, I don't personally I think maybe I know two right piano snobs enough who would have even noticed if they who would have been like mm, that's inaccurate that's not the keys that were being hit and that they the filmmakers cared about that attention to detail at all in the first place is impressive uh and then that that they didn't have to do any movie magic to make that work is well is also impressive to your point though indeed i i notice all the time when i'm watching a movie and someone goes to play the piano and then they do a close-up and it, you can just clearly tell it's not that person sitting, all of a sudden the hands are moving so fast and they cut back to the person. You can just tell sometimes in the edit that that actor isn't playing the piano. So having Gosling being able to at least play it all and be able to do that like close up and probably zoom in on his hands at the same time without a cut, it adds a little extra. I'm with you. I, I can tell like if somebody's playing the guitar wrong and they go, you know, toward the, toward the pickups, but the, the note gets lower, you know, that, that happens a lot in bad movies. Agreed. And that's an impressive feat. It is. Our first thing we're learning about Ryan Gosling, that it's he learns piano. I like it. Good stuff. All right. We ready to get the show rolling here, man. I'm ready. Without further ado, we bring in our guest. He's a JFK aficionado. Absolutely. He writes for Hollywood Chicago. He's been on Cinema Jaw before. Pat McDonald, welcome back to Cinema Jaw. Thank you, gentlemen. And I must say, I was on a very early episode of Cinema Jaw, as you recall. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Way back in the what, day. I, was that like the 10th one or something? <laughs> let's, You're let's, at 569 now? Let's throw it in the fish tank and see. Uh, it was 2011. Yeah, that was a long, long time ago. Yeah, we started at the tail end of 2009. I mean, 20, yeah, 2009. Okay. So you were definitely early on for sure. So how's everything going on over at uh, Hollywood Chicago? Still writing uh, movie reviews? Excellent. Uh, you know, I, I have uh, morphed over the radio mostly. And how I do my reviews is I take my uh, audio from the radio and put it up uh, that way. Mm. And that has made my life a lot easier. <laughs> and it's given me a new perspective on how to write concisely uh, for review purposes. So, yeah. And well, where, can, where can we hear you on the radio? Oh, okay. Uh, if you are up in Monroe, Wisconsin, WBGR-FM, uh, big radio in, in Monroe. And then uh, in Joliet, uh, WSSR-FM at Star 96.7 with the Eddie Volkman Show. He used to be a big uh, DJ here in Chicago. He's now in Joliet. 
he just partnered up with like a 23 year old right out of college. So it's kind of fun. Nice. I, I have a question. One thing I don't know if we ever asked you, Pat, you, you go yes. by the handle, the moniker, or you used to anyway, do you still go by Uber critic? I do. I imagine that was less I confusing actually, before the rideshare thing came up, but I wanted to ask you, right. How did you come up with that name? Well, it's so funny because, um, I, you know, I've always been into film criticism and everything, even before I became a professional. And, um, <laughs> the, um, I was thinking of doing a comic strip about film criticism and, and, and my wife and I were talking, uh, what do we call it? What do we call it? Something like ultra critic or super critic. How about Uber critic? It, that's how it started. And, it, it, and then the ride service came along later. And I'm like, if I had copyrighted that, I'd yeah. be a rich man today. But, Indeed. So, and now everybody thinks I'm just copying. What do you, what do you ride around cars and move <laughs> and review movies? No. So I use it, but I don't use it. Eddie, Eddie loves to use it on the show. So I, I mean, I to, be, to be honest, that's not a bad idea. You know, they got that uh, carpool karaoke and there's other people that review right. and do podcasts in vehicles. That's Maybe true. Rev reviewing films while you're driving around town wouldn't be that bad of an idea. <laughs> Being an Uber driver and reviewing films. Hey, you mind if I review a film? <laughs> you film it. Yeah, man. Hey, no, he's I, giving I'm us a good idea. Yeah, I think this is a good this idea. A good idea, right? We would do our top five, and it would just be with a random person you picked up in the Uber and see what their <laughs> take is. And yeah, it would be entertaining. Do you remember? Do you guys remember back when when taxis were still a thing and they had the screen in the back seat and it would play like advertisements and like you know like at the gas pumps those like sh like cheesy uh, like infotainment things perfect right there it's like hey this is pat the uber critic and here's our top five movies this week boom well i'm gonna i'm gonna call my agent tomorrow there you go the pipeline. <laughs> more free ideas <laughs> from cinema jaw to you pat i don't know who i don't <laughs> know who you. his agent is maybe it's that adam fendelman <laughs> yeah he, he is my agent <laughs> pat so Aaron's you probably heard us say we, we did a, a report card for the first half of 2022 so the right. jawheads get to know you and and your tastes in film what would you say yeah. so far is the best movie to come out this year you know it's interesting i saw one at the festival uh okay i, I can say of, of releases i would say happening uh the french film about the uh, woman who is trying to obtain a, 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 an abortion procedure what timing mm. yeah. but this is set in 1963 and it's really about the illegality and the pushback on the illegal system back in 63. And it's, it, it is, it's just uh, chilling uh, in its uh, form. I recently saw at uh, the Tribeca Film Festival, and I don't know if you, Abe, you had caught it, uh, but The Babysitter. Have you heard about that one? Have it's not another seen French it yet. film. No. It's another French film that's kind of playing off the uh, hashtag Me Too movement. Mm -hmm. And it speaks of gender roles and, and, and uh, reaction um, of uh, men and women and how they interact and using the babysitter, which is that, you know, cliche meme and porno yeah. that, that is all, always done. But they use it in a form that is really kind of pushing back on, on that uh, stereotype. So excellent stuff i mean i was just blown away by that but i'm, I'm trying to think of mainstream stuff 
that I really liked. Well, what it's, would it's you what, what would you say the overall grade of 2022 has been so far on a on a letter well, that's grade? That's an interesting scale? question. You think it's that's been pretty good year? Question. Yeah, I I I I'm going to go B plus so far. That's where that's, that's a, where that's, Ryan landed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, 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 I've been I've been thoroughly entertained. Uh, I even think there's been some levels, like for example, Lightyear a few weeks ago. Really, really love that film, and it just shows you what you know. Even even if you're a big budget and there's a lot of pressure on you, if you still focus on story, you can still create something that is really special. And uh, the problem is, was with was that with marketing. I don't know if you guys read anything about that. They didn't know how to market it. They were saying, "Oh, we have to explain to everybody this is the film that Andy saw to start off toy the Toy Story franchise." I'm like, nobody's gonna get that. <laughs> I have to be totally honest with you, Pat. I almost wish you were on our episode when we reviewed Lightyear. I panned uh, it. I panned it. Oh wow! Ryan liked wow. it a lot more than I did. I was just. I, I say Cars 2 is better than Lightyear. And I'm sticking, <laughs> I am sticking by that statement. I stand what, by my statement. What specifically did you not like about the film? I mean, I'm interested. I think you touched on it. It, it has, who is this movie for? Ah, interesting. You, you know, like Cars 2, that's the, that's the point I made. At least Cars 2 was created for an audience. There was a demand because Cars 1 was such a hit with little children. They all had the, the, the McQueen toys and stuff. They wanted more of that. Right. Whether or not it was right. good, that's debatable. But at least it had an audience. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that because this morning on, on the uh, Monroe show, we talked about the five top grossing animated films of all time because uh, uh, we were talking uh, about Michelle, Marcel, the with the shell on and mm-hmm. uh, another great one and a lot of them are sequels because just what you said the um they watch the first one over and over they wear the grooves off the dvd of the kids and then when frozen 2 comes out gotta take me to the theater gotta take me to the theater you know that sort of thing i'm yeah. sure you know that no, it, uh, <laughs> yes Yes, indeed. <laughs> no doubt. But I'm glad to hear that Pat was a fan of Lightyear, like myself. And I didn't love the movie, but I was at least a fan. I recommended it to people. Yeah. So. yeah. I, I, I gave it four out of five. And, and, I, and I also, I, I guess since I'm an older gentleman, the 50s and 60s sci-fi stuff that was in it really uh, floated my boat. So, Did you happen to see Apollo 10 and a half, Richard Linklater's animated film from this year? No, I did not. Oh, it, it's on Netflix. I love Linklater. Yeah, check check that one out. Apollo ten and a half. It's okay, a, it's a really okay. good one. So, as Excellent. you as you heard, we're celebrating Ryan Gosling this month. What would you say is Ryan Gosling's best performance? Putting you on the spot here. Where, where would you He's say you twice? You put- <laughs> I know. Where would you say um, this is this is great Ryan Gosling movie and and whew. and work. You know, it, I'm not a big fan of his his La La Land performance. I, it was good. Am I am I am I right in saying Drive? I think you're right. I think <laughs> your yes. opinion on Ryan Gosling's La La Land performance isn't changed by that incredible <laughs> piano fact. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like that Saturday Night Live routine they did. He played his own piano. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I, you could also go first man. I was a fan of that one where he played Neil Armstrong. Yeah, but, he was really good in that. Drive's a great pick. That was a, that's an underrated film. Mm-hmm. Drive, you Drive know? really made Gosling, though. If we're being honest here, fellas, I think that's the one that really put that guy on the map. I'm just glad I remembered it. <laughs> <laughs> good stuff. My memory. Well, for the Jawheads. The Jawheads that want to follow you on Twitter, where should we send them, Pat, yes. to read your reviews and all that good stuff? Well, there we go. Twitter, at UberCritic. Instagram is uh, Uber underscore critic. <laughs> I didn't get it. Damn it. And then uh, Pat McDonald on Facebook, uh, regular. All right. And we'll put the Thank links. You. We'll put the links in the show notes for everybody, Pat. Thank so, you. So they can conveniently get to it. That brings us to the big review, Thor, Love and Thunder. Chris... Ah. Chris Hemsworth and Taika Waititi rejoined for another classic Thor adventure. This time they are rejoined by Natalie Portman, Tessa Thompson, and the Guardians of the Galaxy cast and face off with a villain named Gore, the, the God Butcher, played by Christian Bale. That all sounds really good on paper, Rye, but can this God of Thunder answer our summer movie prayers or is there no eternal reward for us? Kids... Get the popcorn now. Let me tell you the story of the space viking. Thor Odinson. He was no ordinary man. He was a god. After saving planet Earth for the 500th time, Thor set off on a new journey. Well, he got in shape. He went from dad bod to god bod. And after all that, he reclaimed his title as the one and only Thor. Oh, spoke too soon. Jane? The movie opens with Christian Bale as Gore, becoming seriously disillusioned with the beings who call themselves gods in the MCU. The god that Gore had called upon is a hedonistic narcissist that does not care about his prayers or his followers. There will be more, he callously mentions. Naturally, this launches an eons-long revenge vendetta aided by a magical weapon that can slay gods, the Necrosword. Cut to Thor. He's been getting back into shape, saving the galaxy with the Guardians, but his welcome with the team is clearly worn thin. Finding himself adrift again, Thor must rediscover himself, reclaim his godliness, tie up some loose ends in the MCU, and have another classic Thor adventure. My main gripe with Love and Thunder is too much love and not enough thunder. Once again, Waititi concentrates on the comedic elements, only this time I think he may have tipped the scales a little too much in the direction of silly. This lessened the stakes and the emotional impact of the experience. Sometimes Thor came across as a doofus, which I don't think totally fits his character. Meathead, sure, but not a total dumbass. Also, Christian Bale as Gore, the God Butcher, he gets a badass name, some sick makeup, and pretty scary henchmen to command but he just doesn't get enough to do. I think by setting him up as a sympathetic character from the very beginning, tipped the viewers off way too early. Last, we need to comment on Natalie Portman. Spoiler alert, but only if you haven't seen the trailers and you're going in stone cold. I thought she looked pretty good as the mighty Thor. I like how her character arc developed in this film, and it will bring some some decent uh, closure for, for everybody and the story of Jane and Thor. My closing thoughts, Thor Love and Thunder, it's no Ragnarok, 
but it had some epic cosmic superhero moments. The soundtrack is fantastic. Lots of good laughs. This is a fun movie that everyone in the family will get something out of. Do go see it. Wow. Well, I wrote down here, Matt, that believe it or not, Marvel's mediocre to, dare I say, bad streak continues. Maybe they should get Sony to collaborate with their other Marvel characters because they are in a funk, my friend. I think we got way too much Watiti here. And I love the guy, but he just went overboard. And Matt, I know you said the Thor comics have this like weird and wild element. I have not read the comics. Cosmic. They're like psychedelic. And I'm cool with them implementing that into the movies, but you still have to have a compelling script to make the movie work. I think the plot was just too simplistic here. There wasn't enough going on. Uh, It was as simple as a a revenge plot that I don't know. It just didn't draw me in. Um, And in turn, it made the silly happenings that you've mentioned here feel like they were just filler instead of actually meaningful moments. Yeah, Bale, Bale's character clearly underused, as you mentioned, severely underused. He, he's barely in the movie. I mean, because he has nothing to do other than wait for Thor to show up for the big battle. The more time I've actually had to spend with this, which has only been a day, the worse I think it is, which is definitely mm-hmm. a bad feeling. But from the time I came out of the theater and now I've had a day to think about it, it's really slid down. I was not a fan of Thor Love and Thunder, Pat. Well, uh, I, I guess I'm sort of more towards Matt's side on this. I did like the film. I, I thought it had a fun element to it. I'm not a fan of Taika Waititi. I, I just, I, since Jojo Rabbit, he just gets under my skin. But, um, but uh, he, he's, he's been so prolific, and, and he's been, like, making a huge influence on the Marvel Universe towards the comedy. Now, the comedy, I thought, worked for the most part, but it did, as you said, uh, right, uh, give it a bit of triteness. Like, Mm -hmm. what are we watching here? Are we watching a comedy, or are we watching this, you know, this monster killing gods and try, you know, in revenge for his daughter? And this is another uh, thematic that comes up so many times now. The, there's always a revenge factor having to do with a family member. And it's just, it's being overused. And, it, and, and you, don't, you don't feel anything for that relationship when, it, when it's overused. However, I love the stuff with uh, Zeus. It, and uh, again, that's not giving anything away because that's in the trailer. And um, I thought, uh, I thought it, it was just, Russell Crowe was just amazing, you know, and the voice, the, the attitude, everything so, was working for me. Go so, ahead. Pat, you, you liked his accent that he went with for Zeus. I, 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 just, I just liked how he kind of took the character and made it, made it kind of weird mm-hmm. and made it kind of like everything, it was, everything about that character was off-putting and it created that vibe not only in the room, in the scene, but with the with the characters who are going after him, which I again the approach was very funny on that. So over, you know, it's it's, it's to me it's a three and a half out of five. You know, the uh, slightly better than my barest recommendation. Matt, you were a fan of Natalie Portman as well. I I I didn't dislike her. 
But again, I think she's supposed to be the emotional anchor here in, in, the, in this movie. And it just, nothing of it connected with me. Near, we get near the end of this movie and I think like, okay, this is supposed to like connect. I should feel something here. I didn't feel anything. And so I thought like, it, it, I have to ultimately say that's a fail then. If I'm sitting there and this big emotional moment is right. supposed to be happening and I'm like not connecting to it at all, that, that's a fail in my book. You make a good point because the last, I would say, what, what maybe eighth of the film or, or fifth of the film, it, it kind of it goes off the rails a bit. I mean, I, I came for the visuals. You know, there are some amazing visuals here. We get, we get some of those great shots where, you know, Thor's got his hammer above his head or his axe in this case, and he's coming down on a group of, of monsters. And man, I, I go to the movies for, for images like that. And I, again, no spoiler, but where this movie ultimately ends up, that that scene with the I don't I don't know how to describe it, but there's like a, a space behind the space. If you guys remember what I'm talking about, which is um, an image we got a lot in the Marvel comics and we haven't seen that done well on screen yet. That was really cool. Uh, there's some fun moments between Thor and the kids. But ultimately, what you're thrust, what you're the point you're making, Ryan, I agree. Um, the the emotional heft of Natalie Portman's character, it was a fail. It was a fail. This just I mean, you know what? Just have fun because there's no there's no like true emotional stakes in this movie whatsoever. They just failed on that aspect altogether, I think. Yeah, it's just too silly of a film. I thought Ragnarok was silly. silly, but now in hindsight, having seen this, Ragnarok got it perfectly right with it did. with with the balance of action and the silliness. Where this, I thought, was just just too darn silly to care about the emotional aspect of the movie. For Agree. Me. So, and aren't we? Aren't we just? I, I'm a bit tired of the claw-like monsters. That um, there, there's a scene where they're fighting. Uh, these imaginary m monsters, I guess that the shadow uh, monsters or yes, Gore brings up and they all have, you know, the claws, the, they're all like crabs. Don't you guys have any more design elements <laughs> over there? You know, okay. I agree. Yeah. Just, you know they one, were pretty uh, creepy though. I like the spider like elements. Now, but yeah, now, no, now that we're getting that's why they go there. I get it. Now yeah. that we're, we're getting up to, I don't know how many films in this uh, MCU, close to 30 probably, um, yeah. we, we could actually do a top five best opening scenes in Marvel movies. And that's where I would actually tip my cap here. I did think the opening scene of learning about gore, that entire sequence, and that comes before the title sequence that, you know, the Marvel doesn't even pop up yet. The film just, bam, opens with this. I don't know, what would you say, about a 10-minute, 15-minute sequence? I thought that was yeah. pretty compelling and, and beautifully shot. I was into it then. I thought, okay, this is going to be a treat. So I did did want to mention strong opening. Oh, I just I was going to say, when I did the research, on it seemed like they were taking that straight from the comics, but just doing research on the character. So I, I would agree that that was a really cool opener, but I think that it revealed too much of Gore's character, like, let him be a mystery for, for most of the film and then find out what his motivations are toward, toward the end, you know, because obviously the final scene kind of uh, changes our perspective on him or 
yeah, put that in closer to the end. Cause immediately when you see that, you know where this is going. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, you know, For I've sure. seen this exactly. before. Yeah. So was there a jaw dropping moment, a, a highlight in this movie that you want to talk about, Matt? I want to talk about the screaming goats. Uh, I came ah. to find out, I think it was Ryan, you brought your cousin, Andrew, to this mm-hmm. movie. Yes, and Andrew I brought my there. sister, Jenny, to this movie, who we drove. I'm, I'm actually at my parents' house in Michigan. We drove all the way from Michigan to Chicago, watched the movie, oh and drove God. back to Michigan. <laughs> but it was very special. We got that to is hang Thor-like out. like of you. We don't, we don't, we yes. don't get to hang out often enough because we're both busy with young kids and stuff, blah, blah, blah. It was nice. Some brother-sister time. But uh, I can't. I found this out from your cousin, Rye, the screaming. I think it was your cousin who told me the screaming goat's voice. That was actually Taika Waititi's voice. Right. Screaming. <laughs> yeah. That made me like it a bit more. So, I mean, like I wasn't expecting that. I didn't think it would be as funny as it was. And, and that was like always good for a chuckle throughout the whole movie. The screaming goats. That was that was my highlight, too. I, I, I wrote down the two goats are in the nothing is funnier category. <laughs> Agree. Because they use the scream so effectively. Sometimes they wouldn't use it, but when they used it, it made me bust a gut. Yep. I, I do want to note when you're at these screenings, a lot of times you can hear Pat laughing. You know, he'll, he'll be I can hear you <laughs> from afar. And I'm like, oh, Pat likes this one. You may be like 10 rows ahead of me, but I could hear Pat laughing sometimes. <laughs> There Thank it is. You, it's that laugh. There's Absolutely. My there, I, gave I love it. To it. You. Um, my jaw dropping moment was the shadow realm when these characters finally got to go to the sh- shadow realm. I love oh. the look of it, the cinematography where everything sort of turned to like a black and white, all colors was subdued. But then when the action took place, you got those flashes of, ac- of color back on the screen where the, you know, combat that takes place yeah i thought that was a great little touch to it all i thought you're talking about the exciting visuals for me that was i thought the most impressive visual in the movie was when they were in that shadow realm i loved it i agree 100 percent. no no arguments all right we like to do a movie poster quote what do you got matt you know nothing terribly creative i was trying to come up with like a hammer or an axe pun but i just went uh thor in waititi's hands is always a great time pretty weak um i went with this guy no respect i tell you i went with best guns and roses music video since november rain (laughs) ain't that the truth (laughs) holy crap the i have long thought go ahead ryan i didn't mean to cut you off yeah i i because we did not bring this up no guns and roses guns and roses is used throughout this entire movie now the people have seen the trailer and sweet child of mine plays in the trailer i'm a big guns and roses fan Saw him last summer at Wrigley Field and seeing Slash go into Sweet Child of Mine's the best. But wow, Welcome to the Jungle, Paradise City, the end of November rain, and Sweet yes. Child of Mine used two different times. We get a, a, a poster of Guns N' Roses in the bedroom and a character wants to change his name to Axel. This was like a love letter to Guns N' Roses. Who knew why TT was such a fan? Um, it was stunning. That the the end of November rain that that guitar solo such a sick dirty rock and roll guitar solo maybe one of the best of all time and man did they use it really well I got chills like the hair on my arm stood up great great use of that good soundtrack yes 
All right, so we're on a four-jaw scale here, Pat. So you're going to have to really do some thinking because you're, you're going on a five-star scale. We're on a four-jaw, so you got to change your rating here. <laughs> All right. <laughs> How many out of four jaws do you give Thor? Three out of four, and Three you didn't let four. me do my tagline. Oh, no, yeah. go for it. Go, if go you got one. Yeah. You scream, I scream, the goats scream for Thor's team. Perfect. <laughs> Way better than mine. Well oh, done. Oh, yeah. And he yeah. just came up with that. That's fantastic. That's great. This guy's a ringer. <laughs> that is also where but, I yeah, landed. Three out of four. That's where I landed, too. Three out of four. How about you, Ray? I'm at two out of four. And, oh. and, and I think if we reviewed this in, in another day, I might be at 1.75 out of four. It's sliding. And even this discussion isn't helping it. I, I think this is a bit of a dud here. Uh, no, I think it's fun. I, they, they missed some of the emotional marks, but they definitely made up for it in the visual department. And it's just fun. I think, you know what? It's, it's just summer popcorn. Good time. Yeah. I go with the fun aspect too. Uh, and, uh, just, just enough, uh, Russell Crowe to bump it up a notch for you. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Thor opens up everywhere on the eighth. Once you see it, Jawheads, let us know what you think. You can tweet us. We are at Cinema Jaw. You can email us feedback at cinemajaw.com. Let us know if you agree, disagree with all of this, or just your take on Thor. It is because of Thor's hammer and his axe. What's the name of his axe, Matt? Stormbreaker. Stormbreaker. That's a pretty cool name. Hell um, yeah. That we got thinking of magical items. And I'll be honest, I know you probably have been a fan of his hammer since we've seen Thor, maybe even since the comics. It wasn't up until this movie that I really liked, actually liked his weapons. And I think Natalie Portman using the axe the way she did she has something to do with that. Or the hammer, I mean, I'm sorry. The hammer, the, it really made me like it. And that whole aspect of the axe like coming into you know yeah see the, what the, the, hammer, jealousy. the hammer and the yeah. axe the hammer and the axe almost jealous of each other i yes. loved it that was funny <laughs> so i i ended up really liking thor's weapons but that was our idea like let's go with magical items and we ended up sending an email to pat about magical items and 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 pat what what did you take it as I, t I took it as magical moments in film ah. history. So we'll see, see I've how been this able does. to adjust. Okay. I've been able to adjust. All right. And I can talk about a few things. Okay. Well, I mean, don't never doubt, never count Pat out. I mean, look how quick he came up with that tagline. No, no doubt. I agree. I'll kick this one off this week, fellas. Uh, at number five, I'm going with a magical item from a movie that I saw really, really young. It's a one we've talked about on Cinema Job before. Came out in 1983. Uh, stars Ken Marshall, among others. And it is, it's a weird mix between fantasy and science fiction. The movie's called Krull. And the item in particular is the glaive. And this is a, uh, a five-pointed star that has blades. It's, it's curved. And the blades shoot out of the tips of the star. But you throw it like a Frisbee. And then you can control it in midair, like like with telekinesis or something. And he uses this to great effect to to defeat all the bad guys. It's kind of think of like Tron's disc, kind of like that, but with blades. Super cool. Loved it as a child. Used to draw this thing in all my notebooks. It's so heavy metal. I love the glaive. We got sent this on on Blu-ray 
from somebody. I think really? We're supposed to, yeah, I think we're supposed to do a review. I ended up You're watching. Kidding. No, I got this on Blu-ray. And Liam Neeson's in this movie. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I was like stunned. He's in a smaller role, but Liam Neeson's in Crawl. I'm like, this guy's everywhere. You know what I mean? <laughs> Dude, there's another, there's another like uh, crazy, uh, like early performance from like an A-list actor in Crawl. I can't remember right now. Maybe we could throw it in the fish tank because it's very noteworthy. Like you'll find it right away. Uh, but I love this movie. So did you watch the Blu-ray, Rye? I did. They did a nice Does transfer. Does it hold up? Yeah. I mean, it's goofy. You know what I mean? Um, but it, I, I was excited because I saw this also as a kid. Um, you know, my brother probably showed it to me on VHS. I hadn't seen it probably since back then. So it was a fun revisit. But I don't know if necessarily holds up. You know, the special effects are kind of corny. But yeah, still the weapon is awesome for sure. Honorable mention for me. There you go. Pat, you're number five. Uh, the, the remote in Pleasantville. That's not uh, a bad uh, one. Yeah, the, the, the magical remote that allows you to go into any TV show. And, of course, who's part of this but the great Don Knotts. So, uh, and, and the aspect of Pleasantville is always that um, it's almost a social history of the U.S., Plain, vanilla, black and white, and suddenly the colors start appearing. Mm, yeah. And uh, gradually, you know, like our society, we become more colorful. This is a film I Andy. have not seen but one time. Does it, it, should I revisit this path on your recommendation? I think, I think you should revisit it. It, it, it certainly, first off, it has a great cast, um, including Jeff Daniels and, Toby Maguire and Reese Witherspoon. Reese Witherspoon, exactly. And um, it's just—it's an odd film. It's almost an art film that is mainstream. You know, it, it was released like a mainstream film, and people went and saw it. And I think they were kind of scratching their heads about it. I mean, it's a comedy, obviously, because suddenly this kid's in a '50s sitcom. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot deeper elements to sure so, yeah i'd almost definitely. say it's it, it's almost like a dramedy and i think it hits a lot of the same notes as like an edward scissorhands in a way you know w with its commentary on uh the 60s and in that era of television anyway but i yes. like it too yeah nice pick pat swings it over to my number five heavy hitter here guys i could be stealing anybody's number one it's that big it is a big item it comes to us from a movie also called big I'm going with the Zoltar machine in Ooh. which it casts a That's wish great. and this thing comes true. Number one, I just want one of these Zoltar machines in my basement at some point, even if it's not one of them that grants <laughs> wishes, just the Zoltar machine is, is a really cool looking thing. So that would be excellent. But Why is it because you, want, you wish to be big? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it worked for Josh Baskin, right? Yeah, why not? I mean, sometimes when I'm talking to Pat, I, and people might not know this, Pat's like a giant, you know? And me and Pat somehow end up talking a lot at, like, all these, like, film parties. I swear to God, my neck hurts from talking to Pat because I got to look up about a foot and a half to have a conversation with him. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I met a basketball player at, at Indiana University who is seven foot four, which is a foot taller than I am. And, I, and I, when, when I was talking to him, I go, Oh my God, my neck doesn't go this way. <laughs> you need to do some stretches. Oh, it goes this yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
But it, I, I, I have experienced that, Ryan. So. There you go. But yes, the Zoltar machine from Big. I mean, it's it's a fantastic so idea great. if it can grant you a wish. And it doesn't have to be just to be big. I, w- I would love to have a, you know, a wish come true from a Zoltar machine. All right. That swings it back around to our number fours. And I'm going with a movie that came out in 1989. And I, I think a lot of the, the magic that comes from movies is also about timing and when things reach us. This movie starred Fred Savage and it's called The Wizard. And it was just a commercial for Nintendo. That's all it was. It was almost unapologetic in its being a commercial for Nintendo. But in 1989... A movie about Nintendo was right up my alley. It is basically a retelling of the pinball wizard story. Um, a brother and his 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 little brother who is somewhere on the spectrum, uh, but is super talented at video games, go across country. Along the way, they meet up a girl with a girl that, that becomes a love interest. And they have to go to this this uh, tournament to win, to get the money to save the, the goondocks or something. I don't remember. But they meet a bully along the way who is also a video game ace. And he becomes the, the, the antagonist. But he has a weapon in his arsenal that is truly magical. This was way before it came out. Our first glimpse of the power glove. And when he slides this thing on, man, that was magic. And he can control the video games with just his his hand, he's not pushing buttons. He's turning the car in pole position with a pretend steering wheel in the air. I'd never seen anything like it. Didn't even believe it existed. But it, it was like finding out the hoverboard from Back to the Future was real. Only the power glove really was real. Wow. I mean, that it was a magical item, and I just knew I had to have it. Blew my little mind as a child. I'll never forget that experience. I, I got no, I got nothing to fill up. I got nothing to follow that up with. <laughs> Ryan hates this pick. Well, my, my number four is a letter, an item that's a letter. And it actually, yeah, it comes at the end of the movie Mr. Roberts. Have you, have you guys seen Mr. Roberts? No, I, I don't think not. so. Okay. 1955. Uh, it was the breakout film for Jack Lemmon. He won an Oscar as Ensign Pulver. And at the end, and this is, I'm giving a spoiler, That's but okay. it's still a great movie, so go and watch it. So anyway, Mr. Roberts, played by Henry Fonda, has tries to get off the supply ship during World War II because he wants to see action. So he finally gets his wish uh, over and above the consternation of the ship's commander, played by Jimmy Cagney. So all, all through the picture, Mr. Roberts is antagonizing Jimmy Cagney to get off the ship, and there's there's a lot more going on, but you sh- should see the film. Anyway, the letter comes at the end, and Mr. Roberts has died. And you'll never see a purer moment of acting on film than Lemon's reaction to that letter. He gets up, he stomps up to the uh, to the uh, to the captain's uh, deck. And he says, what is this about you, crummy, taking away our movie privileges tonight? Boom. And the, and the movie ends. And he has taken the power of Mr. Roberts through the inspiration of his uh, influence. So the letter in Mr. Roger, Roberts. Wow. Not Mr. Rogers. Yeah. 
That's a damn good one. It is. He, he, he goes old hey, school. I'm adapting. It's on the fly here, babies. <laughs> Works. I, I mean, it, it does it, work. It, it puts my next pick to, to shame. I, I do want to state, just reiterate, we're talking about the items here. So don't judge me on the pick of this movie. The movie is no good. But I always loved <laughs> this item. And so I, I just want to preface that. The movie was Prince of Persia, Sands of Time with Jake Gyllenhaal, oof, which oof. was an absolute crapper. But it was based on the video game Prince of Persia, Sands of Time. Which and is the, a great game. Right. And the weapon that is used, the magical item, is this Dagger of Time, which is already a cool name. And the, the holder of the Dagger of Time can actually go back in time up to one minute. So if he's about to fall down a pit, he can use the dagger of time and rewind up to 60 seconds, and he wouldn't maybe fall down that pit or get stabbed by the bad guy seeing what would happen. But the dagger also has to have like a special sand in it, you know, for it to work. So it, it, it does run out, and you got to refill it with the sand. So the whole premise of the dagger is fantastic. I loved it. And it worked great in the, the video game mechanic, especially if you had played the video game. Then the movie came, and I was so excited for it, and it was a complete dud. I don't know where. It's probably very rotten. Can we throw that in the fish tank, Phil? How rotten is Prince of Persia, the movie? So I don't want to recommend the movie. However, the weapon in it, what a great magical weapon, the Dagger of Time. Okay, now I feel a lot better about my Power Glove pick. A lot better. No, no. I love I love your guys' pure nostalgia, the love that you have for those <laughs> movies of your youth, where you can never forget that thing that that creates that excitement. Yep, no doubt. Right. I mean, yeah, for sure. Mm. I'm going I'm going more modern now with my number three pick. I am going with uh, one from the Marvel universe, and I, I held myself to just one from Thankfully. any given any Thankfully. given frank any given franchise, just one. So. Uh, there's many to choose from, but I went with the cloak of levitation. It's not an infinity stone. It's not connected to the plot in some other way. Dr. Strange's cloak. It has its own personality, its own, uh, emotions and motivations. And it's just a cool, I mean, Dr. Strange's cloak with that tall, uh, collar. It's just badass, you know? So it, it's just something I really enjoyed. I, I love the way it get, got animated and, it always has a rescue every movie it's in. I, I do love the look of the of the cape for sure. I my only gripe on it is I don't understand its full capabilities. Like could he use it as like a shield? I never know. I never know what exactly the cape can do. It can fly. Well, it was sort of a character in the last film. I mean yeah. it was, it was a, you know, whatever it could do was presented to you. Yeah. You know what? You're right, it, though, right. It's Aladdin's yeah. magic carpet. But he wears it as a cape. That's what it's exactly what it is. I mean, can it sing karaoke? Yeah, probably. <laughs> we know Wong can. <laughs> All right. Okay. So he goes with the cape. What do you got there? My next one is is you know we're, it's a little vague, but stay with me on this. It's a dance, a dance, and I'm not going to. The next two picks will not be as fancy as this. I'm not trying to brag about my film history knowledge, but the Fellini's eight and a half, okay? The film is unusual in that it's a film about making a film and that the film that is being made in the film is what we are viewing as an audience. 
So at the end of this thing, several of his characters from his memories, his fantasies, and his real life, including his younger self, comes together and dresses purely in white. And they start a little dance, like a circle around, where they're, they're, just, they're just doing like a simple circle dance. And we see the director who is making his film come into the, to the dance and dance along with them. At this point in the film, all the layers of the narrative merge into one film image. And as we pause to take that in, uh, we, he had to say something meaningful. And the film has ended up, the, he's making just did that because of this dance. So it, it's so multi-layered, and this dance becomes the film. I hope I explained that right. I'm, I was reading it. Anyway, <laughs> that dance. I like it. I, I really Thank see you. that that Pat is going with movies are magic. You know what I mean? I like yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's how I was able to adapt my wrong assignment into the right one. <laughs> well done, sir. Well done. Thank you. My number three is my Phil pick. I think Phil will be happy with this pick. Maybe. Maybe. So it's an animated movie, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it's one that I want to revisit. But I thought when I, I was thinking of magic and, and going on like a quest, this movie popped up in my head because I had just re recently wrote it down to, to rewatch it. It comes from us from Kubo and the Two Strings. Oh, and it, yeah. And I'm going with this Shamasan, which is, I believe I'm pronouncing that right, the Shamasan, which is the uh, instrument that he plays it's a, a stringed instrument. It has obviously two strings. Um, later in the movie, he restrings it with a special string. I'll just say that, not giving it away. And this thing, when he plays it, has this magical power. And especially near the end, it raises like the spirits of uh, the village people who uh, have passed, the villagers. And it, the animation in this movie is great. It's the closest being a, a Legend of Zelda person i remember when we reviewed it i said this is the closest we've gotten to a legend of zelda movie where in the sense that they went on the adventure and they had to get the armor they had to get you know the sword he has he has this stringed instrument very similar to like how uh the Link ocarina is of the, time yes this playing a, you know an instrument there was a lot of elements there that made me feel like this was like a, a link kind of adventure Mm. Um, from Zelda, but I loved the movie and just watching some clips in preparation for today. I'm like, yes, I got to rewatch this. It's Kubo not is great. Not streaming anywhere yeah. for free on a service. Yeah, wonderful film. Wonderful film. Yeah. Not available anywhere, huh? Not on a service. You can rent it for you know four dollars or whatever, three, you know three ninety nine. Mm. But it's not on like Disney Plus or HBO or any any of those, unfortunately. But mm. might be I am, worth a rent. I am gonna I am gonna watch it again. Yeah. Sad that we pay like all these streaming services and we still have to wind up renting a, oh. for another five bucks, you know? It, like, it drives me yeah. nuts. Usually I'll hold Crazy. out and I'll just keep track. I, that's why I keep them in my journal. I'm like, I'm not going to rent it when I'm paying, you know, $40 on, on all these random <laughs> services every month. Let's go. Get on one I of the services. I have no patience for that, Ryan. When I want to see a movie, I want to see it now, you know? I'll rent it. All right. Uh, back over to me. So speaking of nostalgia, Pat, you know, like um, the things we want as a little kid. When I was a little kid and I had sleepovers, the most fun thing to do. Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't want to hear it, Matt. 
What? No. Oh, I thought you were going somewhere else. <laughs> no, no, no. We're, we're keeping this PG. When I had sleepovers, the, the thing that, that we would do was sneak around, you know? Like, are the parents asleep? We're going to sneak out and, like, go around the yard and, and like, go out in the dark in the neighborhood. Um, what a weird was, kid. Is that weird? Yeah. I feel like that's a pretty universal experience. Um, you know, we would pretend we were spies or ninjas or whatever the, the flavor du jour is. So from Harry Potter, the Marauder's map, I think, represents mm. that specific wish fulfillment on the first of all, the, the Marauder's map is so cool because like that's another thing we love from like playing Dungeons and Dragons, having the map of the dungeon. And and this is a, a most accurate map that shows all the secret entrances and, and things in the school of Hogwarts, this big castle and dungeon type place. And you can also see where the teachers are. Like in real time, you see their footsteps. Such a cool item. And the way you have, you know, have to say mischief managed and it folds itself up. Super cool. Of all the things in Harry Potter, I think it is by far, I would make an argument to say it is by far the coolest. The Marauder's Map. That's that's my number uh, two pick. Strong pick, Matt. Honorable mention for, my, for me as well. I, I agree. Awesome, magical item. That's good. I always loved the uh, the pictures, how they moved in that. Mm, I don't know totally. why it always gave me a kind of a strange tingle. You're gonna <laughs> love this one for my number two. <laughs> Go for it. It's a copyright document. Okay. No, no, bear with me on this. Oh a my goodness. A copyright document. It's a wonderful life and its journey to where it is now. It's a wonderful life was the first film of Liberty Films in which Frank Capra formed after coming back from the war. It cost $2.3 million to make and fell 525000 short from the break-even point, even wow. though it's considered a classic, and it caused Liberty to fold. Now, Capra sold Liberty and all the rights to It's a Wonderful Life, meaning its source, everything, to Paramount Studios. Paramount then sold it to National Telefilms Associates in the 1950s, which later became Republic Studios. And NTA failed to renew the copyright in 1974. We all know what happened after that. We saw it at Christmas time 500 times from like 1974 to 1993. Now, what happened in 1993? Republic Pictures cited a Supreme Court case where if you owned the source material, for a, a derivative, which It's a Wonderful Life, they owned the source material, which was called The Greatest Gift, a short story that was made into It's a Wonderful Life. So they were able to get the copyright document back and magically sell the rights to NBC for $20 million. And they only show it twice a year. And you're not going to find it on any other channel. You may get the DVD out and play it 500 times. You may go to the music box and watch it. But it's only on TV three times a year on NBC <laughs> after multiple showings around the country. So the copyright document, a very magical document in film <laughs> history. That's a stretch, but I did it. Wow. <laughs> this guy can make anything magical. I like it. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> So my number two, Matt, I went superhero. Aren't you proud? I, I did put a superhero on my list here. We'll see. We'll see. It's probably like Darkwing <laughs> Duck. 
and and this also, I mean, I think it goes back to this nostalgia factor. When I was a kid, and I would actually see the television show that uh, reruns were played on, I always thought like, wow, what a cool item because there there is magical armor that is is pretty neat throughout fiction you know i mean lord of the rings has magical armor and it's done pretty well but there's nothing better than the bracelets of submission that wonder woman wears is oh, that the wow. name of them the bracelets of submission that's what i, I, I found online wow or Didn't you could just say wonder woman's bracelets but that's anyways, where i would go i thought i remember watching it as a kid and thinking how cool is that she can like def you know block things that are, are coming at her um almost retaliate you know fire off of her bracelets towards other people like it's a shield and the bracelets were just so damn cool and it was so unique like it wasn't you know chainmail armor it wasn't you know a shield it was bracelets that were on her i just loved wonder woman's bracelets you know, you then, know the roots of that i i don't well, the, the creator was William Moulton, who, who uh, invented the lie detector. And he used the straps, you know, for the lie detector. And that's where he was inspired for the rope, okay, the rope of truth. But the, 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 the bands of submission, he was also into free love and S&M. So. <laughs> True story. <laughs> so Is the really? bands of submission were part of his... Holy cow. Had yeah. no idea. Oh, no. Wonder Woman has S&M tinges all over her yes. history, for sure. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, anyways, the bracelets that Wonder Woman wears, my number two pick. And I thought they've uh, flourished awesome. pretty well in, in the films as well. She uses her bracelets. So. All right. I guess that brings it to our number ones. And I, I think like when, when you think this topic, immediately a magical sword has got to pop into your mind. And there have been so many, obviously like Excalibur pops up. I think you could make a case for a lightsaber, even though that's it's more technological. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I went with, I think one of the most quintessential magical fantasy swords of all time. And it is sting from the Lord of the Rings. Um, I guess technically he finds it first in the Hobbit, but it, it carries on throughout it glows, the metal glows blue whenever orcs are near. And it can kill a spider with one shot. It's an elvish blade with, with runes down the side. They made it look so cool. The hero prop from the films is just a badass looking blade. I love Sting. I want to own uh, like a, a prop Sting. Like if I ever get a movie prop, like an expensive one, <laughs> that's the one I'm going to get. Yeah, I mean, make make sure you click on the right sting, and you don't get a wax figure of the singer, you know? Right. Yeah, or like a police album or something. Uh, no, no, sting the sword, not sting the singer. Yeah, that's my number one. Wow. Also, an honorable mention of mine. So you're you're knocking off all my honorables. Uh, Pat, what do you got sitting at number one? All right. This is a this is a wild one. Another conceptual thing. Hold on. But Hold on. Brace yourself, jawheads. Okay, go ahead, Pat. <laughs> the repeating day from Groundhog Day. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you want to talk about magic. 
The, uh, there was a, uh, a, a website called whatculture.com who figured out that Phil was stuck in the loop for 33 years and 350 days. That means he was left repeating the same day an incredible 12,395 times. Now, how did they work it out? There are 38 days shown on screen, as well as 414 days mentioned, and a huge 11,931 days, which Phil spends learning a host of new talents and interests based on the theory that it takes 10,000 hours to become an expert in any given subject. Oh my so God. the magic of the repeating day. And, and quite frankly, it, it is something that we all wish for. We all wish for we could repeat another day, maybe in our lives or maybe like Phil every day, just to see what that would feel like. So that's a little <laughs> magic that I, I think uh, is, is part of movie history. Love that movie. Uh, I love that that scene when Andy McDowell is exchanging, uh, you know, conversation with Bill Murray, and then he says something in French, and she's like, "You know French," and he's like, "We." Oui. So so perfect, <laughs> Bill Murray. It's it's the best. Yeah. Oh man, no arguments. I love that movie. It's an absolute classic. My number one pick, we go back to the wonderful world of Hogwarts, to Harry Potter. I am not the biggest fan of Harry Potter. Why this landed at number one? I wanted something that if I really was talking about a magic item that I would have a ton of fun with and I would want my possession, I had to go with the cloak of invisibility. Because do you know what a creep I could be with that thing? You know what I mean? Yeah, we're learning a lot about you. I was going to say. You're into you're into S and M and and voyeurism apparently. <laughs> Listen to Pat laugh it off. Here he goes. We're we're all we're film critics are all voyeurs. We're yeah, all voyeurs, true. man. True. Absolutely. So um, the, the cloak of invisibility it pops up in in various spots of Harry Potter, but. He gets it for Christmas. He puts it on. And the very first time he puts it on, it's a pretty cool effect. He goes, goes over his shoulders. His whole body disappears. His head is just floating over. And if I really had a cloak of invisibility, I always thought like when a kid, oh, how cool would that be? I'd be able to cheat on my test or I'd be over here and no one would know. You know, all those kind of like fun. You'd you know. be in the girls locker room. I mean, oh, just say 100%. it. Uh, yeah. yeah, for sure. I mean, there's no doubt about it, you know, but in, in times when I finally got bored of being in there, I might venture out and do some other, you know, shenanigans like, you know, spill something on the floor and everybody be all shocked. Where did this come from? I don't know. I love the idea of being invisible, though, as, as a kid and always wanted a cloak of invisibility. No doubt. I mean, yeah, Perseus gets the helm of invisibility. Um, and, uh, Frodo has the, the, the one ring, which turns him invisible too. So it's like a classic, uh, magical item, a classic magic power. And for yes, sure. I Unless, would also go into the girl's locker room for sure. <laughs> Unless we forget Wonder Woman's invisible plane. Yeah. <laughs> one of the stupidest magical items of all sky. time. <laughs> the, um, I was, I'm, it's extraordinary that all of us had different things. Now mine went, went off the rails, but just everything was different. It was beautiful. Honorable mentions here. The Night Sword from the Northmen came out earlier this year. Ooh, wow. Pretty good one. The Ruby Slippers in oh, Wizard yeah. of Oz. Oh, man, of course. Um, and everything wow. else has been mentioned for good. me, just those two. Very good. 
I struggled with this one. So I left it all on the field, Ryan. So you, yours were the only honorables. <laughs> well, Jawheads, like if, if we missed your favorite magical item, could be a copyright, who knows, and you have Twitter pulled up, <laughs> shoot us a tweet. We're at CinemaJaw or an email, feedback at CinemaJaw.com. Let us know what we missed. When we come back, we have feedback to get to eye for an eye makes a return plus matt is taking pat on in love and thunder movie trivia stick with us jawheads as we celebrate ryan gosling this month we got to go way back early in his career i know earlier this episode matt said what put him on the map was drive and that is true but you go back a few years earlier it was the notebook in which I finally learned the name Ryan Gosling and knew who this actor was. I picked out this clip because it was so early in his career when him and Rachel McAdams have their big fight with him finally asking, what do you want? What do you want? You're bored. You're bored and you know it. You wouldn't be here if there wasn't something missing. Arrogant son of a bitch. Would you just stay with me? Stay with you? What for? Look at us. We're already fighting. Well, that's what we do. We fight. You tell me when I'm being an arrogant son of a bitch, and I tell you when you're being a pain in the ass, which you are 99% of the time. I'm not afraid to hurt your feelings. They have like a two-second rebound rate, and you're back doing the next pain in the ass thing. So what? So it's not going to be easy. It's going to be really hard. And we're going to have to work at this every day, but I want to do that because I want you. I want all of you forever, you and me, every day. <laughs> Will you do something for me? Please, you just picture your life for me. 30 years from now, 40 years from now, what's it look like? If it's with that guy, go. Go! I lost you once, I think I could do it again if I thought it's what you really wanted. But don't you take the easy way out. What easy way? There is no easy way. No matter what I do, somebody gets hurt. Would you stop thinking about what everyone wants? Stop thinking about what I want, what he wants, what your parents want. What do you want? What do you want? It's not that simple. What it's do you want? Tucked into a smoky back alley into a secluded room of an illicit speakeasy filled with gambling, liqueur, and podcasts. Come inside, sit down for a drink, and join us while we discuss film noir of yesterday and neo-noirs of today with your hosts, Carly Street and Jason D. Morris. Welcome to Speakeasy Noircast. And we are back on Cinema Jaw, hanging out with Pat McDonald, the Uber Critic. Follow him on Twitter, Uber Critic. S- super simple. Yeah, and you might need to throw an underscore if, if you're on Instagram. No, it, it, that's on Insta, right? Right. Yes. Um, it's pure on Twitter. Pure. Pure <laughs> Uber Critic. Pure, pure Uber Critic. Pure and uncut, unadulterated Uber Critic. <laughs> You could just yes. mainline it. All right. Before we get to eye for an eye and before we play some trivia, we threw a few items into the fish tank. Phil likes to swim up to the top. Let's open up that fish tank. 
it's a giant glass bowl. Hey, there's some fish folk. Who's coming with me besides Flipper? Here. That's a sudden message. That means Luca Brasi sleeps with the fishes. Hello, thank you everybody for letting me out of the fish tank this week. It's good to breathe, it's good to be back. Uh, I still have not followed through on my commitment of seeing Lightyear yet, so I apologize for everyone waiting with uh, bated breath. I know it's now been two weeks since I was, uh, what's the word I want to use? Tasked. Tasked. Ta yes, tasked with being the, the deciding factor. Uh, I think Pat filled some of those shoes a little bit. However, I, I again, as someone anticipating to thoroughly dislike this film i i i'm a little bit mad that pat's pro light year um <laughs> well now you gotta see it phil you know now i now now i have to just to make it even again yep. how dare we cinema jaw make something orderly and, and find resolution how dare we 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 want you guys to to be confused uh uh we don't we don't uh and we to show that we don't want you guys to be confused we have answers to questions that were thrown in here uh, our first one is when was pat's first appearance on the show and it is uncannily close to 10 years ago exactly wow. uh pat's first time on was episode 115 uh best chicago scenes uh, and that was on June 28th, 2012. For, for everyone, we're wow. recording this on June 30th. Uh, almost exactly 10 years. That's crazy. Wow. What's, crazy. what's crazy to me, uh, because I'm vain and because I'm uh, vapid and everything revolves around me, I did also look up, Pat escaped, maybe uh, escape sounds probably escaped the more i think about it escaped ever having me as the engineer because this was when other pat uh the the next time pat mcdonald would come on was when uh, editor pat was doing things on 419 uh april 29th of 2019 wow uh, well actually maybe that doesn't sound, maybe i was here i was at the studio i have my years right. mixed up i think i actually was here but I swear to God, I remember listening to the long shot. It, well, this isn't. Maybe my memory is failing me, mm. uh, and I just inserted talking about. You myself know what for we no need? Reason. We need a fish tank within the fish tank. Oh my God! Yeah, With a, we need another smaller <laughs> fill. In Honest there? to God, no, 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 no. We need someone more reliable than me. We. <laughs> <laughs> we, we we need what we need right what we need is like some kind of ryan tank i i don't remember if it was last week or the week before where matt and i were talking about how it's always us two <laughs> ones is saying flagrantly untrue things with enough confidence to make people be like is that right when it's it's i do that all the not. time yeah uh it's called gaslighting in some circles but yeah i don't do it intentionally it's, it's that's the thing is it's not because i i i'm just an idiot right uh, right same same so we, we we need someone more reliable than me is, is what we need a, a tank of, of i'm telling you humans a, more. a fish tank inside the fish tank and in that fish tank is a smaller phil who can answer all the questions that big phil doesn't know this uh, yes. look into it look into it we but the, the little phil is still gonna be phil we need like a we need like a, a <laughs> I don't know someone who actually checks facts. <laughs> let's get a little Pat McDonald in there. How about that? Yeah, let's get a little Pat in there. Uh, really, the the bar is pretty. You don't have to. Pat is great, but uh, right. The problem with that is Pat is unavailable. You don't have to right because other people have needs. The the bar is low. You don't have to be great to be above me. Uh, 
Anyways, uh, who was the other A-list actor alongside uh, Liam Neeson and Kroll? So Liam was a, a bandit, and that was kind of an early appearance. And also, speaking of how much Harry Potter and magic is about, it was uh, Robbie Coltrane, Hagrid himself. Was, was a bandit, which also makes sense because the dude's got a build of, of somebody who would be a bandit, right? Sure. Totally. That makes sense that he'd be in Crawl. Okay, it I can does. see that. Uh, How Rotten is the Prince of Persia movie. Uh, it has a 37% Rotten mm. review. That is critics. Uh, audience score is 58%. Uh, and I will say both of those numbers seem remarkably high and that's not a compliment i think 36 percent of critic by critics is higher than it seems like it should be like no if your movie is based off of a video game it, it feels like it should almost be a rule that you cannot exceed 15 percent oh bite your tongue man sonic the hedgehog was amazing come sonic on Sonic the hedgehog was not amazing it was yes, fun it was. but it was poorly made it was stupid it was like it just because we had fun doesn't Last mean it was a femur. good movie. Oh. Just because something is fun doesn't mean it's good. Mm. Drugs and cigarettes are fun. Does that mean they're good? No, I no kids listen to this. I can say. <laughs> well, not anymore, <laughs> Phil. Jeez. Yeah. Just lost the kid audience. <laughs> there goes our. I was about to our, be repentant for that. I there was goes there. our eighteen and younger demo, Phil. Twenty-one yes. in most cities. Oh, I, what I find interesting about RT scores is that if it's, if a film came out before rt came came into the circle there's a smaller sample mm-hmm. right yes and they True. usually have higher scores because of it although i guess it could be much lower right. too could be while we're in the fish tank we got some feedback we want to read what do we got here matt we did. We did. Uh, Flicker Joe wrote in for, for yeah, we haven't heard from him in a while. Nice to hear from you, Joe. He says, good day, Rye, Matt, and Phil. Flicker Joe here. Glad to be writing again. I've been on a big media sabbatical, pushing forward a big project. Congrats. I'm fitting some things in now, and I'm glad to hear the show is as great as ever. Thank you. Uh, thanks for keeping it up. Hostile Environments made me a top five for it. I put together this list before hearing what anyone else had to say. Really good topic for a top five, but difficult because there are so many. I tried to steer away from the really obvious ones. Some great ones are. At number five, he picks Monsters. At number four, The Sixth Sense. Three, The Blair Witch Project. Two, Schindler's List. And number one, Midsommar. And he he finishes and one last thing i wanted to throw this back to you guys what's the war movie with the most hostile environment you've got saving private ryan apocalypse now black hawk down newer ones you've got fury 1917 the hurt locker so many i couldn't decide on one anybody have any thoughts good times as always flicker joe great to hear from flicker joe it's been a long time War movies, hostile environments. We'll, we'll let Pat chime in also. He he lists a lot of good ones. I always thought Black Hawk Down was terrifying, um, you know, situation to be in with all of the gunfire. Which brings me to one that he didn't mention, and I'll bring up here in case people missed this movie. Came out, I believe, in 2020 called The Outpost. And it was about uh, true story based on the troops in Afghanistan that were in like a valley around some mountains in which 
uh, the Al-Qaeda then all attacked at the same time, came in to try to take over the fort, and nobody could get to these group of soldiers. So they were literally by themselves trying to fight off, you know, the enemy from all sides. The action sequences in this movie are great, but another extremely scary environment to be in. All war is scary, but I thought that one was particularly fierce. I'm, I'm going to go with one that was mentioned, 1917. Yeah. The journey that those two guys took was unbelievable. And it was probable. It, it, it didn't seem to be something within an environment like that war that couldn't happen. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, when they get to the end, you know, it's just a great Cumberbatch uh, cameo to tell them to tell them what the result of their journey was. So, yeah, as far as creating a harrowing uh, atmosphere, uh, 1917 did for me. I agree. Matt. Great movie I want to revisit. Um, I would go with The Five Bloods. Um, oh. Going back to Vietnam a second time and all the, like, the landmines and the, the just the jungle, the things they encounter along the way. Um that was a pretty hostile environment in terms of a war movie. I don't know. Does that count as a war movie? I think it kind of does. I'm counting sure, sure. it. It's a sure. Vietnam movie. What Good about, um, I wonder if this is, is maybe thinking a little too, it, I would consider it a war movie also, but are, are you guys familiar with Grave of the Fireflies? Uh, no. A film about um, the effects of, I think what's to me hostile about it is that like it's, attacks on civilians it's not really about the military's presence but it's about the the nuclear bombs in japan during world war ii and the impacts it had on the humans uh, mm. i guess I, i'm saying that as if military personnel aren't humans and i, I don't mean that the civilians but, you that's yeah 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 like the everyday people not not the people uh like brave enough to engage in the combat right not um, the combatants yeah I haven't seen that movie, but uh, it's 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 really unpleasant. Uh, truly, like only watch it once in your life. It really like it does not make you feel good. Hmm. I'll check it out. Good to hear from Flickr Joe. We also heard from Alex Taharsky on Twitter. Always like to read this guy's tweets. He wrote in uh, in regards to our Nicolas Cage episode. We did our our favorite Nicolas Cage movies, Pat. And uh, Alex wrote in, you guys did, in fact, miss not one, but two of my favorite Nick Cage movies. Wild at Heart is another completely insane performance in one of David Lynch's best movies. And Bad Lieutenant Port of Call New Orleans is a fantastic performance where he's standing just this side of totally out of control for the entire film. Plus, it's Werner Herzog, of course. Alex. I, I wrote Alex back on Twitter, shocking, I have never seen Wild at Heart, and uh, it is not available to stream anywhere, and I'm not saying on a streamer, I mean you cannot stream this movie, so I'm going to buy the Blu-ray and finally watch the David Lynch Wild at Heart. What's amazing is we did Nicolas Cage month and then we did Laura Dern month almost consecutively. And somehow we still didn't watch wild at heart. We didn't like do a retro review. We need to do it, Ryan. We, we got to do it. We'll do it for the Patreons. Let's do it. Recently, uh, one of the wildest uh, cage movies was uh, prisoners of the ghost land. Anybody see that? It was like a Skipped festival it. thing last year. 
And it just, uh, <laughs> it's indescribably Cajun. <laughs> I want to see it. Yeah. I, I mean, after Massive Talent, we kind of went on a cage kick. And uh, I, yeah. I, this one came up. I got to see it. All right. Well, that was everything in the fish tank. Phil That's all we got. It. I will. It was teased at the beginning. We're bringing back eye for an eye. We've changed it up. Phil oversold it like he oversells everything. He's a hype man. You know, he's a salesman. That's but what I do. <laughs> what we decided to do is we're not going to do eye for an eye every episode. But at the top of the month, let's look at the big not- notable films coming out each month and do eye for an eye, and we'll take it from there. As moviegoers, are we interested or ignore? So we're not just doing one or two. This particular week, we're doing three movies. What's up first, Phil? Yeah, okay. So it is radically different because our first one is also, I think, I think maybe a little obvious what eyes everyone's going to pick. Nope. Uh, The new Jordan Peele movie. Caretakers at a California horse ranch encounter a mysterious force that affects humans and animal behavior. Uh, This film is going to star Kiki Palmer, Daniel Kaluuya, and Steven Yeun. And of course, it is written and directed both by Jordan Peele. Matt, interested or ignore? Big interested. Like, obviously, he's got this little uh, trilogy or hopefully more going. And how could you not after uh, us and uh, Get Out not be interested in this one? Pat? Um, yeah, I want to see it, uh, but it better be better than us. Oh, you I weren't liked a us. fan of us, huh? I was not. Hmm. I, I, I was disappointing after Get Out, I must say. But uh, it, it's, it was a looser concept, and I don't think it landed. That's all. I'm also interested in Nope, and I think the more I've seen of the commercials, I was watching the NBA Finals more than I ever have in in recent years. And this was being advertised quite heavily. So I saw the commercial numerous times. I'm really intrigued on what's going on. And I haven't had that feeling in like a long time of like, I I really don't know what the gimmick is in this movie. The UFO, the flying saucer, it seems to look fake or too small to be a real flying saucer. So I don't think it's aliens. I really don't know what to expect here. And and that excites me. So very interested in Nope. Phil, where do you land on that one? Big time interested. Yeah, I'm super interested. I think uh, I I recall this when we did our summer movie previews. uh, I was the one of the three of us uh, who in our. our, Yes, I I, I claimed it from the two of you. Uh, Absolutely (laughs) interested. Sure did. Uh, I think it'll be great. Four interesteds for Nope. I know we're going to see this one in review at this month. So, Yes, we also have one uh, that I think maybe isn't generating as much buzz. So it's almost like it's our... That's the other thing that's great about this rebooted eye for an eye is that we get the chance to generate buzz for stuff that maybe people aren't talking about yet. Uh, like the gray man. When the CIA's top asset, his identity known to no one... Uncovers agency secrets, he triggers a global hunt by assassins set loose by his ex-colleague. This film is going to star Ryan Gosling, who we are also championing this month to generate hype for this movie, Chris Evans, and Anna de Armas, based on the novel of the same name. And this film is directed by the Russo brothers. Matt, interested or ignore? Totally interested. Totally interested. I mean, that just sounds so good 
on paper. This pedigree is is fantastic. I'm in. Big Pat? time. Yes, and we're going to see a lot of six-pack abs. I hope they have a locker room seat. <laughs> I'm also interested. If I have a, a any, you know, chance to worry here, it is the fact that it's a Netflix movie. And boy, they've been missing the mark on a lot of big movies. You know, I was so excited for a lot of these big action movies that that one that uh, Charlize Theron did where she was uh, undead. The Old Guard? Yeah, The Old Guard. There's been some other ones where I'm like, oh, this is can't miss material. And yet it was like, oh, they sort of missed the mark. That's the only thing that has me hesitant here is that it's a Netflix movie. (laughs) But I'm a slight interested on The Gray Man. Phil? You know, I wasn't until Pat said a lot of six packs abs. Now we're all in. That was the magic word. That's what I should have wrote in mine. And now I'm buckled up. Uh, (laughs) You can bounce a quarter off him, Phil. Even better. Four Interesteds for the Gray Man. I'm sure we'll probably talk about this one as well as it is on Netflix later this month. One more, Phil? Yes. Yes, and this one uh, is probably the most tailored to me. Pause of Fury, The Legend of Hank, uh, a down-on-his-luck hound, literally like a dog, not like a, a, a dog, finds himself in a town full of cats who need a hero to defend them from a ruthless villain's evil plot to wipe their village off the map. This animated feature film has the voice work of Samuel L. Jackson, Michael Sarah, and Mel Brooks, and it will come out July 15th. Matt? Ignore. Wow. And ignore yeah. on this one. I'm a huh? cat person. What can I say? No, this just does this doesn't look all that good. Not Pat? Not, not too interested. Wow. This I is this a is this a sequel or is this a a wholly original? I believe it it's a wholly the, original, right? It has the stink of Nickelodeon on it. Um, it. It is a Nickelodeon film. I will say yeah. also, it is. I, I'm trying to think of how to phrase it because it's neither a sequel, but it's also neither an original. It's very derivative. It's, well, it's it's very uh, like specifically a, a reimagining of Blazing Saddles. Mm. Its okay. original name was Blazing Samurai, uh, which honestly, if they had called it that and given it this, I, I that so hence me the is Mel, Mel Brooks involvement. Interesting. Yes, so it's 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 kind of like saying Romeo plus Juliet by Baz Luhrmann is a re is like a sequel or it's not original, yeah. but it's not a sequel, but it's not like the one that we're used to. I, re, I don't know how to a retelling this. a reimagining. So Pat, it. Yeah, Pat, yeah. with all that, interested I, or ignored. <laughs> I see George Takei on the voice list, slightly interested. Wow. Oh, my. I love it for Takei. <laughs> oh, my. He was just on the Today Show, uh, or I think it was the, the, the View or something. That guy's the best. Um, he is the best. Is. I'm also with Matt. I'm going to give this one an ignore as well. I, I'm not. I, when I saw the, the trailer, I thought, you know, maybe if I caught it at home, but would I go to the theater and, and pay money for it? I probably wouldn't. I'm giving oh. this one an ignore. Phil? I have to give it an ignore as well. I think every once in a while, right? Like, I, I like to separate the difference, like, in, in, at least in terms of animated films, between, like, entertainment and children's entertainment. And I don't think 
that all animated I, I think that you can have overlap i think pixar usually does a good job i think right like moana is a great film or or like uh, mitchell's versus the machines this has big like Freebird energy or like big secret life of pets energy where it's secret life just was kind decent. of was it though i'd say <laughs> the first one was decent but anyway go on i didn't mean to interrupt right. it's just that that it just seems like it's really just made for kids and will have no appeal to any yeah. of the four of us as fully grown adults that was the return of eye for an eye how does it feel it's matt momentous i mean yes. like exactly. i'm beside myself with excitement let me uh, have a sip of water yeah. yes exactly. yes yes old eye for an exactly. eye is to blazing saddles as new eye for an eye <laughs> is to to pause a fury but everyone is looking forward to it is the difference there's no slight interested and there's no ignores. There's only hard interested. You know, one good thing about that movie is now I'm going to have to rewatch Blazing Saddles. So mm. there you go. That's a win. That is a win. All right. As we, we start to close out the show here, we always like to end it with some trivia in honor of Thor Love and Thunder. We're playing Love and Thunder movie trivia. That's all I'm saying about it. Pat, you're our guest. You get to choose if you want to go first or let Matt go first. There are steals, and you do have one Rescue Me Ryan. I have clues to all the questions. <laughs> so they, you can start steal off one easy. question. All right. You can steal one question, and you have a phone a friend to Ryan. Yeah. I got you, it. You have a rescue? I'll and go you, first. Okay, good. You have a you rescue? You can steal any question that Matt doesn't get, too. Right. It's not just one. Uh, you can steal. If he oh, doesn't get you. it, you always have the opportunity. And vice versa. Him. And vice versa. Yes. I, 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 Here we go. Question I think one. I did very poorly the last time. <laughs> question one over to Pat in Love and Thunder trivia. Yes. Name the 2009 comedy that starred Ben Stiller, Jack Black, and Robert Downey Jr., Love and Thunder, Thunder movie trivia. He's got it right, right there. Tropic Thunder, one to nothing, Pat. Question two over to Matt K. Matt, which actress won Best Lead Actress Oscar for Shakespeare in Love? Oh, man. I don't know. Um, hmm. Kate Blanchett. Oh, that is absolutely incorrect pat you got a chance for a steal here which actress won the best oscar for shakespeare in love she smells she smells great gwyneth paltrow that is correct (laughs) gwyneth paltrow two to nothing pat and question three is over to him pat love and mercy saw paul dano and john cusack play this legendary frontman he just turned 80 on June 20th, the great Brian Wilson. Yes, that is correct. From the Beach Boys. Love and Mercy, great movie. Three to nothing, Pat McDonald. It's a slaughter at Woo-hoo. this point. Question four is over to Matt Kay. Matt, name the Sylvester Stallone movie that has a character named Thunderlips in it. Oh. Rocky Two. That is incorrect. <laughs> Oh, my. It is not Matt's Rock. night. Pat, you got a chance for a steal here. What is it? Rocky Three. It is Rocky Three. <laughs> yes. And come on. I always mix those up. Oh, my goodness. Thunderlips <laughs> played by Hulk Hogan. Who could forget I mean, I it? Knew, I knew it was Hogan. I thought he was in three or two. 
It is now four to nothing, Pat. Question five is over to Pat. Keep it going. I love it. Uh, Who played the crew chief, Henry Hodge, in Days of Thunder? Ooh. Duvall. Robert Duvall. That is correct. He is rolling today, folks. Five to nothing, Pat. That already ends the game, but we'll play it out. Question six <laughs> is over to yes, you, Matt. Please. Name the 2003 Christmas movie starring Emma Thompson, Hugh Grant, Kira Knightley, Alan Rickman, among others. We're playing Love and Thunder movie, movie trivia. Love Actually? Wow, you are on the board. <laughs> Never saw it, but I'm familiar. Oh, Never saw Love on, Actually. this Christmas. All right. This I Christmas, will. you got to run it. You got to run it. I will. Five to one. Pat, question seven is over to you. Name the actor who played McLovin in Superbad. Uh, pass. <laughs> I can't think of his name. He was also in Kick-Ass. Uh, but it's not Aaron Taylor Johnson. I'm going to say Rescue Me, Ryan. Mine as well. Your clue is... CMP. Oh, I forgot about the rest. <laughs> CMP. And Pat's saying pass was pretty close. <laughs> that's two clues. <laughs> yeah, that's two clues. <laughs> I forget this guy's name. Chris, Christopher Michael Pass. It's minced, right? Minced, right. yeah, yeah. Christopher yeah. Mince Plass. P-L-A-S-S-E, yeah. Plass. Mm-hmm. So nobody got that one correct. All right, it's five to one. Last question is over to Matt Kay. The 1997 movie Addicted to Love starred Matthew Broderick, Kelly Preston, and this actress. Matthew Broderick, Kelly Preston, and who in Addicted to Love? Now I'm just trying to remember the the singer who did the song with all the... Uh, the 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 women who dressed exactly the same in his mu- mm. music videos. Mm-hmm. What was his name? Pat. You know who I'm talking about. Robert Palmer. R- Robert Palmer. Thank you. Thank you. Um, that's all I can think of is is the Robert Palmer song. That's incorrect. Oh. Pat, you got to guess on the actress. I'm using I'm using my phone. A friend, Ryan. Wow. Your clue is she's made three movies with Tom Hanks. That is correct. He got it on that one. (laughs) Well done, Pat. He slaughters Matt K. Six to one. I think I got got just as pantsed the last time I was on the show. So thank you for letting me come back. If it came down to a tie, we call it a jawbreaker. This question would have been to Matt K. From Russia with love, one of the best bonds or worst bonds? Uh, It's probably one of the worst bonds. Incorrect. One of the best. Hmm. Um, the the real jawbreaker was age of Matthew Broderick, closest to Matthew. You got to guess on how old Ferris Bueller is these days. I think he's under sixty, um, but getting there. He's getting there. So I would say he is fifty eight. Lock him in at fifty eight. Patty, you got to guess on age of Broderick. Well, I'll I'll, I'll do the uh, Price is Right thing and go one more, 59. Give that one to Pat. He's on a roll. 
Matthew Broderick, <laughs> 60, 60 years old. Six zero. Wow. wow. Yeah. 60. Christ. Wow. We're getting Time old, flies. gentlemen. Time flies when you're having fun like we just did on Cinema Jaw. Comes uh, to the end, and we got to thank our guest, Pat McDonald, for coming on. This has been a blast. Well, every time I see you guys, I always say this is the best podcast in Chicago, if not America. The way you guys do it, fun, informative, conversational. The best. Thank you. Oh, thanks, Pat. Absolutely. We got to thank our engineer, our producer, our editor, Phil. Oh, of course. More than happy to. Wouldn't be here any other th- any other uh, uh, any other place in the world. I think that's what I'm trying to say. Matt, we should also thank the sponsors. We should. Thanks to Overcast and the Chicago Podcast Co-op who help us get great sponsors like them. Last but not least, we want to thank our Patreons. Thank you for supporting the show. If you want to join our Patreons, where should they go, Matt? Let's get this right. Okay. Uh, I've been corrected on this. They should go to patreon.com forward slash cinema jaw. And that will get you to the right place, everybody. We just dropped an extra first half of 2022 report card, our biggest surprises, hidden gems, and overall grades. So always little extras that we're trying to throw out to the Patreons. Thank you for their support. And if you want to support us another way, leave us a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. And click subscribe. It helps us a ton. Until next week, I'm Ryan the Movie Guy. I'm Matt Kay. And, and keep, keep on, on John about, about the movies. movies.